This is Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, check out our other podcast, Fiat Vox, about the people and research at Berkeley. Find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. The Hearst Museum of Anthropology recognizes that Berkeley sits on the territory of Huichin, the ancestral and unceded land of the Chochenyo Ohlone, the successors of the historic and sovereign band, uh, Verona Band of Alameda County. This land was and continues to be of great importance to the Ohlone people. We recognize that every member of the Berkeley community has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of this land since the institution's founding in 1868. Consistent with our values of community and diversity, we have a responsibility to acknowledge and make visible the university's relationship to Native peoples. By offering this land acknowledgement, we affirm indigenous sovereignty and will work to hold the University of California, Berkeley, and the Hearst Museum of Anthropology more accountable to the needs of American Indian and indigenous peoples. Um, so with that, I'd like to introduce our speaker for tonight, um, who we're very grateful to have here. Um, and, and then I'll turn it over to you. So Francoise Borzat is a consciousness guide, author, and counselor trained in somatic psychology, who's been mentored in the Mexican Mazatec tradition of the sacred mushrooms, and has been sharing her approach internationally for 30 years. Borzat holds a BA in psychology and an MA in somatic psychology from the New College of California. She holds a degree from the San Francisco Hakomi Institute and is adjunct faculty at the East-West Psychology Program at California Institute of Integral Studies, or CIIS, in San Francisco. Her most recent book, which is the one that's available tonight, published with North Atlantic Press, is entitled Consciousness Medicine. So if I could ask everyone for a round of applause to welcome her. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity to share some of my uh, interests with you all. Um, so like Katie said, I was uh, curious early in life, well, sort of early-ish, about, uh, in regard to sacred medicine. I had an opportunity to uh, experience uh, uh, sacred medicine in South America and Bolivia when I was 19, uh, which was very, for my little French background, totally uh, out there. Maybe for some of you living in California, it was already, you know, uh, common. But for me, it was really new. And um, when I f moved to California in 81 to study body work, actually, uh, uh, originally, I had the opportunity to meet a man who lived here in the uh, East Bay named Pablo Sanchez uh, through um, some friends. And Pablo uh, was of uh, Navajo Pueblo and Mexican uh, origin and was a counselor, social worker, counselor, uh, teacher at the University of San Jose, San Jose State, exactly. And he was also working with medicine. So he was what we call a medicine man. He was working uh, with uh, MDMA and mushrooms and LSD, with ketamine, MDA, different, different substances. And that for, I, I think he must have started in the probably mid-70s, late-70s. So when I met him towards the late 80s, um, I had the opportunity to be actually his client. So I was seeing him on a weekly basis, and I was doing these journeys, we call the journeys, you know, individually or in groups. 
And uh, this uh, forging of this personal work as well as the community that we, we formed uh, as, you know, his clients, uh, really um, gave me, a, 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 a well, obviously a very personal sense of what this work could look like and the community it could create. Um, and that this work was not just a personal experience, although that too, on a psychological, psychotherapeutic level, but also a communal experience. Pablo was also very uh, talented as an artist, so a lot of his um, preparation techniques, integration techniques, had a lot to do with art, uh, expressive arts, movement, um, uh, rituals. He was, he was, of course, a tribal man, so he had a lot of ritual up, in, up his sleeve and was uh, sharing with us a lot of his rituals. Uh, so it gave me a sense of uh, different aspects of what healing could look like that would not just psychotherapeutic or not just a indigenous ritual, but kind of a blend of the two. And this pioneering of psychotherapy and uh, Western psychological understanding with indigenous practices and more ritual-based uh, rituals really uh, fascinated me and interested me because it felt like a good uh, integrative um, approach. So I was working with him, I was assisting him, I was kind of learning, me and my husband did, um, and we were, um, you know, being his right arm, so to speak, right arm, left arm. It was a group of us, I was not, we were not just the two of us, but uh, not many people took on the ongoing work that Pablo was doing. Some, some people did and continue to do so. Um, so we were doing that for quite a while, and then in the late 90s, I had the opportunity to go to Mexico, um, it was totally serendipitous, but anyway, I went to Mexico and met a, a man there who had lived in Huautla de Jimenez, which is the birthplace of the mushroom tradition in Mexico. Um, or I should say, like, let me take that back. This is the currently only living uh, place where the tradition of the mushroom is continuing. Mushroom were, was alive and this tradition was alive many different places in the Mexican um, pre-Hispanic territory, but with the arrival of the Spaniards, uh, all that shrunk and was pretty eradicated. So uh, the work now is mostly centralized around, centralized around Huautla de Jimenez. Um, so I was able to go there and was introduced to this uh, uh, woman, uh, Julieta Casimiro Pineda, who is a was she passed away a, um, a year and a half ago. And she was a Mazatec uh, indigenous woman who had practiced the mushroom work for many, many years, 50, 60 years. And that was her life, and that was her culture, and mushrooms were part of the, um, the ritual, part of the prayer, part of the, the, the fabric of the, of, the, of the culture there, really. Uh, very sacred practices, uh, no tourism. To this day, there's no tourism uh, with the mushroom like there may be in in South America, as a lot of you know, with the ayahuasca, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, happen yet in Mexico. We'll see. Um, so I was able to meet with her, and she decided to, um, I don't know, she knew I was working with mushrooms already, and I guess she wanted to give me a sense of the roots of the work and wanted to uh, welcome me into her work and into her family and into her tradition, which I was very grateful and... Um, and some of you here have gone there uh, with me, um, so you know how, how that is there. It's a very beautiful culture. Um, and so for the last 20 years, that's what I did. Uh, I went back and forth, and she came, and she did some 
teaching there. She was at CIS doing uh, conferences, and I took her to France to talk and you know around the world. She was part of the thirteen, the Council for Thirteen Indigenous Grandmothers, which some of you may know of. She was one of the grandmothers, um, and so we traveled around the world and uh, visited all the grandmothers, um, you know, one by one like this, and partaking to the rituals. So. Um, what was really interesting about working with her, I, was, I want to say that, because we are uh, looking at these different indigenous uh, practices, is that what I learned from her, not only did I learn the, the, the very root of her, um, of her tradition, practice, again, it's, I, I want to be very modest and very humble because I can't pretend that I know Mazatec culture. I'm not, I don't speak the dialect. I don't, you know, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but what I was able to uh, collect or gather, or I was, I was offered. Um, it's, it's a very specific culture, but what was interesting with her, as we traveled the world and as we met with the other healers and pe pe women sharing prayers, and was the cross-pollination and the communality, rather than the differences that we, um, we found, and how bonding it was to... Uh, you know, receive ayahuasca from one of the grandmothers, you know, or in New Mexico, or how they all came down to her ceremony room from Tibet and, you know, uh, Alaska and ate mushrooms with her. And sort of, uh, you know, the Lakota women were like singing peyote song in the middle of the journey. You know, that was very um, unifying, really. And what, uh, what I felt, what still um, feels very present for me is the it's more it's it's the unification of what prayer really is and how Julieta used to say it doesn't really matter what's in the plate because what's in the plate is really of the earth and so what we're really gathering and what we're really ingesting is with is earth wisdom it, itself uh, it's earth herself that gives us this medicine so if it looks like this it looks like this it looks like this it's really all the same message and but of course every culture is very distinct and has its uh, all these rites and rituals and processes. So, as I talk tonight a little bit about the uh, you know what I what I find pertinent as far as the current research and the medicalization or the uh, you know commercialization of this of these practices, especially uh, psilocybin, as we know, is coming on, on online here. You know how do we how do we give back? How do we reciprocate? How do we uh, honor the uh, original place where these medicines come from and, and um, what do we give back? How is it reciprocal? So that's kind of my conversation this evening for you um, because I think it's the same problem with all medicines. I think it's the same problem with ayahuasca, it's the same problem with all kinds of medicines that have been extracted from the jungle or from nature and where things have not been given back to support the people who hold <coughs> this tradition sacred. So. It's a big conversation to have, I think. Um, so currently in our culture here, especially culture in California, we have a great broadening of those practices, right? There's many, many circles of ayahuasca happening. People come from South America. People go to Mexico or to South America or to Costa Rica or to Jamaica or to, right? I mean, people travel now both going somewhere or people coming up. And there's a variety and a, and a great amount of, of, of circles going on. And people are really 
looking for that. There's a seeking enemy. People go to Burning Man. And I mean, I know so many people I work with now um, are initiated in Burning Man. And they come and say, oh, I had this experience. I don't know what happened to me. I want to integrate. You know, I, I, I don't know what to do with all this. So there's a lot of um, usage, we could say, right? There's a lot of usage. And the point is, why is this usage so um, on the surface of the society right now? And I'm interested in that because I think that, you know, in the current age and time and what we're dealing with here uh, on the level of the planet, on the level of political stress and, um, you know, the, the social fabric of the, of, of, of the human family, really, there's, a, there's an emergence of consciousness through these uh, medicines and an interest that's really coming up in the treatment form with MDMA, with psilocybin, with ketamine, with LSD, ayahuasca, cannabis, everything is being brought to the surface. And it's interesting because at a time where there's a lot of political oppression, I should say, right? Or, you know, I mean, it's not easy right now uh, what's going on politically. This wave of, uh, of consciousness is really moving forward almost like regardless of what political climate is. It's really kind of strange. I mean, you know, a while ago, I was having the pleasure of being in Oakland for the decriminalization. We were, some of us there, right? Uh, you know, you know, gathering our little speech of one minute, you know, to try to support the thing. And, and I was like, wow, this is happening. Meanwhile, you know, Washington is in like bad, bad, bad shape. And then, and then Denver, and then Chicago, Chicago, and then every, everybody's kind of decriminalizing. And Oregon is about to legalize mushroom, hopefully, I don't know, we'll see. But, so this movement is, is, is happening no matter what happening politically, which shows a great deal of the, of, I don't know what to call it, the, the a rise of consciousness almost on an archetypal level that's happening, maybe to counterbalance this darkness that we are uh, facing here. Um, I was meeting someone today, uh, organizing some work together, some conference and some talk, who's very, very involved in climate change and redesigning public schools in, in uh, high school, 25,000 high schools in the country. I mean, this is a big project of redesigning access to high school for minorities. And I mean, like, really. And, uh, and she was saying, yeah, I mean, regardless of what's going on in Washington and all the oppression that we have, actually, there's a great mobilization. People are really organizing, maybe to counterbalance this, this, uh, this, this, this. She was talking like the force of darkness, you know, are really upon us, and we need to rise. So, um, so I'm, I'm noticing. I'm, I mean, I'm noticing, and I've been noticing for a while. Of course, it keeps, it keeps expanding that this, all these experiences with psychedelics are really becoming more and more mainstream. Huh? I mean. Uh, of course, Michael Pollan's book was a big, uh, a big breakthrough as far as bringing that topic to the conversation of mainstream. And, you know, he was on Colbert Show and Good Morning America and whatever, everywhere, you know. So there was no, um, you know, that definitely helped the uh, destigmatization of the, of the conversation on this topic. But I think it's a wave anyway. I think that the researchers like Rick Dublin or Stephen Ross and um, um, William, uh, ah, what's his name? Bill Richard, Roland Griffith, all these people working with the with the research actually have been moving forward all these twenty I mean like twenty years. I don't know when when Matt when Rick Dobbin started to kind of work with Michael Mitoffer, but I think it was close to twenty years now, right? I mean something like that. Right? Uh, right? I mean yes? 
Louder? Okay. Yes, Howie. Um, uh, so, yeah, so, you know, 20 years of effort, and then I remember uh, once I was at Burning Man and I was talking to uh, Stephen Ross, and I said, God, you guys are like so dedicated, you know, and he said, Yeah, it's been like 10 years that we've been doing this effort, you know, to really bring psilocybin on the forefront of, of treatment. So, you know, I can see and I can appreciate the amount of commitment it takes to stay on track with these protocols, you know, and um, so then that leads me, I, you know, and I have a tons of respect and I support and I speak at fundraisers for MAPS and I'm like totally on board of supporting those guys to move forward with, the, you know, with, with what they're doing. I'm totally there. And um, so we talk, we're talking about research, we're talking about treatments here, right? And <coughs> certainly it's a wonderful thing that those approaches are now touching the people who need it a lot. I was just talking at, uh, where are you, Raquel? I'm back here. Oh, she's back here. So Raquel Bennett uh, organized a wonderful conference on ketamine. Uh, she's a very high-level uh, specialist in ketamine and organized every year this ketamine conference. And I was there and uh, speaking and, uh, and gathering with the, with the colleagues. And it was very interesting to see how, uh, how much such a medicine like ketamine can really save lives. Literally, people who are suicidal can be saved. So, okay, great. And people who are uh, extremely anxious because of life-threatening diagnosis can be uh, really sort of rescued by psilocybin experience or people who are, um, you know, highly, highly uh, or deeply depressed can also be helped with psilocybin experience. Or So this... Um, you know, these approaches and this treatment of intense pathology, intense states are amazingly potent and amazingly useful and they're absolutely necessary. And we're not, we're not questioning any of this. My approach or my uh, angle, because I'm not a doctor and I'm not a researcher, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not in that field, in that orientation. My approach is consciousness. My approach is looking at health and looking at well-being from uh, a, a, a bit of a different angle, which is less about uh, pathology and symptoms and more about holistic health. What creates health, really, and what creates well-being? How do we have to create an equilibrium between different parts of ourselves? And this is what I'm trying to explain in the book. What, what balance do we create in our uh, state in order to have an optimal health? We can wait to be sick and then do something. We can deny ourselves the attention um, that we deserve until we have a, a pathology or a symptom or we catch cold or we have gut problem or we have migraines or we have stress. Or, uh, so, and we can treat it when it's present, of course, and things happen. You know, If we have a life-threatening diagnosis, of course, we can benefit from a treatment or if we have a, you know, a, a, a weird chemical imbalance and we are become suicidal, we can get ketamine that can help us. So it doesn't mean to deny those moments where we can go to the, to the doctors, you know, we have an infection, we go to get antibiotic because that will save lives. So it's not to deny that level, but I'm looking at the bigger picture of, of health. And I like to say that in my talks because uh, I, I, when one of the grandmothers was from Brazil and she was living in a jungle and, and she was a Santo Daime a grandmother and she, oh, from that practice, um, 
uh, the ayahuasca practice. And she, uh, we were talking about, I don't know, we were talking about plenty of things. And one day she said, you know, uh, the, the purpose of healing is to restore health. It's not to treat disease. So, because that's the same word, healing, health, and uh, supporting health. So I was really, uh, somehow it clicked for me. It, it, did a, it did something to me to, um, it echoed my idea of, yeah, so how do, how do we support health? And I think that we support health by looking at our lives and being aware, having a level of consciousness and, and mindfulness and awareness of how we are on these different levels of our being. But I think also we are uh, accessing a, a deeper level of health when we ingest medicines. So the purpose of medicine is to create a bigger, deeper, more thorough experience of our inner functioning, right? our physical functioning, our emotional functioning, our energetic functioning, our spiritual functioning, our relational functioning, how we are in with, with the land. Also, how do we resonate? How do, feel, how do we feel one with the land? how we are the land, not in relation with, but we are the land. So, um, yeah, so, so it, when we take medicine, we are really seeking an internal uh, look, uh, like we look in to see what is the matter. What is the matter? And Julieta used to say, you know, the mushrooms, they go into you and they do the diagnosis. They travel through you, and they kind of scan you, and they go all over your body, and they check what's the matter. And what's the matter? You know, you might have a matter in your, in your ovaries, or you have a matter in the back of your neck, or you have a matter in your gut, and the mush, or in your heart, or you have a, ma- a matter in your, in your sadness, right? Or you have a matter when you are disconnected from the divine, right? Or um, when you lost connection with a family member. So those are your illnesses. And so the mushrooms kind of goes there and bring it to your face, like this is your illness. And by knowing your illness, you resolve your illness, you deal with it, you treat it from within yourself. The mushroom helps you see the truth. She used to say the light of truth, the light of understanding. So you understand yourself, you see your truth. And by seeing that, the light of this consciousness cures you, literally. So it's your inner consciousness and your inner clarity that will actually bring about healing, bring about your, your flow and your acceptance and your understanding and your yes, 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 I, I get it, I get it. And once you get things inside yourself, then you are touching healing, right? Which is not to deal with a, a pathology, you just, you just holistically <coughs> hold your inner process in a different way, understanding the intricacy of why or when or how or what it was that blocked you. So it's a, it's a deep process of understanding and of clarity and of looking at your functioning from, um, from knowing and from compassion. Right? Maria Sabina used to say, uh, she has a fabulous uh, saying, I mean, she had all kinds of poetry, as we know, but one of them, um, she was saying, it is a matter of clarity, it is a matter of tenderness, was a poetry, uh, the end of a big poetry that she was saying during a mushroom ceremony. And... And that's what it is. We have clarity and we have tenderness. And that's what, what healing is really about. Knowing and holding. And understanding and having compassion for what, what we go through. 
And so these medicines uh, that provide treatments, they provide medicines. This is medicine, right? The ancient ones or the, the people in, in, in the Ohlone uh, territory, I mean, I live right in the Ohlone near the hole in a grinding stone where I am. I mean, on my forest land, there is grinding stone right there. So I'm very um, aware of the presence of the spirit of the Ohlone very uh, daily. Yeah. Very aware of that. And the ancient ones here or in Mexico or in the Amazon, they used these this substances for doctoring. They didn't have doctors and they knew they had that. I mean, they had herbs and they had all kinds of knowledge. Huh? They were curanderos. They, they knew of the herbs. But you can go to Lapland or you can go to Africa. They, they deal with what the earth gives for, for healing. They, this is what they're doctoring. And so we call them medicine because they're, they treat us. They treat us from a, not so much like a Western medicine treating symptoms, but they address the whole per- person that we are. And it's very much medicine, really. Um, so... Again, I mean, I'm just kind of weaving that a little bit. The, the theme of consciousness as a as a layer. That's what I talk a lot about in my book because you know, consciousness medicine is like a big a big topic. Medicine is a big topic, and consciousness is a huge topic. And I don't mean to be you know like you know expert in consciousness, nor expert in medicine really. But <clears throat> you know, there's layers of consciousness. There is consciousness. What I said earlier, like. What do I know about myself now? What, how am I functioning on these different levels of my person? Right? On my physical, my emotional, my spiritual, my relational, my, my, my being the earth. How am I functioning? What is the level of my awareness, of my awakened eyes and sensation there? And then this level of the consciousness as, as Deepak Chopra you say, you know, the air you breathe. This has nothing to do with anything. It's just, it's just is. You don't have to define it. You don't have to put it in a certain definition. Everything is consciousness. Everything is infused by consciousness. We are consciousness. Huh? It's like you can replace consciousness by the divine or God or spirit, huh? or great spirit. We are that. We are an expression of that. So um, I believe that if we grow consciousness, and that's why I chose that title. Actually, my daughter chose the title, not me. Um, it was really her dream. She woke up and she said, I know the title of your book. I'm like, okay. And so I said, okay, good, because I don't know what it is. So I'll take that. Um, but it's true, it works. That, that the, way we are, the way we heal is by being conscious on this level and on the vast level, on the resonance with our, on the, on the awareness of, with our functioning and on the resonance with the larger picture. And that leads to this amazing... Um, um, aspect of this medicine work, of this substance work, which is, that's why I was selling, telling in the ketamine conference, because we were looking about uh, ketamine as a psychedelic experience, and what is the benefit of such dimension for healing? Yeah? Why, why is there a benefit in d- disappearing as a human being to become invisible and really dissolve in, in, this, in the air? You know, what's, the, what's up with that? You know, how, does that how does that help us? You know, it's like... And I said, well, it helps because the less human you are for a moment, the more you can regroup as a better human being. So the idea is to really disappear, really dissolve. And, you know, <coughs> you know intense level of mushroom can do that, and ketamine definitely will do that. Um, so the dissolution of the, of, the, of the eye consciousness, the dissolution of the, 
of, of what we identify in being, the dissolution of our um, reality and our incarnation is really what we're after, right? I mean, we're really after who am I if I'm not this? What exists beyond this, right? And the Mexican people in the tradition of the mushroom, as well as all the tradition, but I, I know that more, is the relation with ancestors, with the dead people, huh? the day of the dead. You honor the day of the dead because when you go into the mushroom, that's where you go. You go to the other side, to the side where you don't exist in the body form. So they, they have a great relationship with the dead as alliances. Julieta always said, before you, go, before you eat mushroom, call your dead. Call your dead people, line them up. You know, I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, you know, I have to watch my list and I have to, you know, make my list of my dead people so I can call them all before the journey. She said, they're going to be there for you, but you have to call them. You know, they're just there, kind of waiting, you know. And so you have to call the dead people and then they, and then they, uh, they kind of show up for you because they live in the space that you're going to be exploring and they're going to guide your hand because they know the way around and you don't yet or whatever. You think you do. Um, I mean, you know, we, are, we can always all get disoriented even years after, uh, you know, uh, practicing those, those, those journeys. So, so, the, uh, so the idea, or the, the, there's not an idea, it's the reality that when we are eating mushrooms or when we are taking ayahuasca or especially those substances that really dissolve your ego structure. I mean, you know, peyote and San Pedro are a little different because they are, you know, you hear and you see reality and you, you feel reality differently. But in those medicines that when you are really not there anymore, the place of spirit is restoring your soul wellness, we can say. It's like the, it's like the layers of stuff that, gets, uh, co that cover the beauty and the shining and the, and the shimmering of your soul person. Uh, you know, those layers get, get peeled off, right? In the place of, of spirit, when your identity and your body is not there. And so then, the idea of expanding spirit to that dimension, into spirit to that dimension, is to come back as human beings, right? To come back and to bring back from that place the message of spirit, the message of eternity, the message of unity, <coughs> the message of oneness, that there's no separateness, we're all one soul, and then we kind of manifest in these different elements, a microphone, a watch, a person, right? me, the floor. Right? This, is all, this is all spirit, this is all consciousness. And so then we are one, and then we come back with those messages, we are creating healing, we are creating wellness, and we are creating, hopefully, a different world, and a different society, and a different relational field, and a different um, sense of prayer, and a sense of sacred. So this is, why we, this is why we go into the world of spirit, not because we want to get high and that will be fun, but because we have, we have a job to do here while we're here. And the job of being incarnate is tough. It's tough relationally, it's tough with karma and old stories of transgenerational trauma, and it's tough with the state of the planet, and it's tough because there are you know, people with fear that creates war and greed and, you know... Uh, it's tough. It's tough to be an emotional body. You know? I hate it. When I go into mushroom and I feel like, oh, gee, all over again, the violin of my emotions, you know, it's very, it's very, uh, <laughs> it's 
very, you know, boring. <laughs> you know, it's something, bo- it's something beautiful about the, the tenderness of my heart, but there's also something like, gee, here I am again, you know. Oh, this and that, you know. And so being beyond that is a great thing, and the, the issue is to bring it back. So then we're talking about the big, the big theme, which is integration. Integration is a big word, and it's not always very, how could I say, well spelled out. I mean, it's a beautiful word. It means bringing it in the body, <coughs> bringing it together, embodying it, physicalizing. It's act, it means acting the things you found out there. And it's, 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 uh, it's not complicated, but it's complex. Right? And it's subtle, and it's multi-layered. And you can read more about this. <laughs> I'm not going to go describing integration. But it's a very <coughs> complex, multi-step process of really uh, bringing back the messages. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit more about this, uh, this, this other... Am I doing here? Am I good? Okay. Um, the process of commercialization. I was recently talking, and I was... I, it took me a lot of like compassion and equanimity as a practice. I was talking to people who were investing in Compass. <laughs> out of greed, out of investment, you know, it's going to be a big pharmaceutical company. We're going to create psilocybin. Uh, we're going to just extract this and we're going to scale it and we're going to sell it, you know, for millions of people. And you know what? We're even going to create, listen to this. Hold to your seat. We're going to create a pill that doesn't make people trip. I know. I said, what? And I said, we're going to strip a molecule and people will be treated with psilocybin without the trip. I'm like, oh, no. And he said, isn't it exciting? I'm like, no, it's not exciting. So I stayed zen. I said, how interesting. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, it was a moment of practice. Okay. And um, so, so then we have this situation like that where a sacred medicine like psilocybin, in this case, you know, they're going to extract psilocybin out of a mushroom and they're going to put it in a pill, which they already do. Already it's a kind of, I have to breathe through this, but anyway. Um, so they do that and then they give it to people and then they manufacture it in great quantity and then they have monopoly for five to ten years and then they broadcast and then put millions of dollars to basically create a big pharma, pharma company and then they, uh, they own the whole thing. And I was telling Mike, I was saying, well, Mike, you know, I'm glad that many people will be treated. I am glad that it could be accessed by people who are really depressed, by people who are really anxious, by people who are facing cancer or facing something. If it reaches, you know, a vast population, and if it doesn't cost $300, like other treatments uh, are way overpriced, like ketamine, right, Raquel? So, so you know, if, if it's the case that people really get treated and it really reaches a lot of people and there's a great campaign of, of outreach so people can get this, this medicine, yeah, 
But, and, this, is com- this comes from a tradition that has been keeping that alive for thousands of years, and, if, and, and I don't think it's right to not look back and give thanks or some reciprocity to the tradition that has kept this alive so you can make your money on the big pharma and these people can get treated. So that link has to be alive, I think. Now, you can, if, you, if you live with yourself and you can look at yourself in the mirror and know that I told you that and you don't do anything, good luck. <laughs> you know, because that means you, you live with yourself with the lack of integrity because you will have heard it. You know, if you don't know, it's a different thing. But I looked you in the eye and I told you, you have to pay back the people. You have to give back something. You have to send, you know, clinics. So you have to <coughs> support them to teach their children this traditional medicine. Or you have to do something that's going to perpetuate this lineage in a way that works for them, not for your interest. And you have to be in dialogue with these people. So they'll tell you what they need. They'll tell you they want school for the kids to learn Mazatec instead of losing their language. Or that there'll be some herbology class or some elders, you know, really passing on this tradition of the mushroom to the children. And there will be, you know, less you know, kind of envy in the village and there would be people collaborating together in the different traditions. And, and there would be a safe a safeguarding and a, any, any um, uh, yes, yeah, support of this tradition so they can stay alive. Huh? Otherwise, you know, who knows? Maybe, you know, some other people will, 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 will benefit from, from, from knowing this, huh? or other parts of the world. That was an interesting discussion. And then we, uh, we did some work together in the morning after he said, you know, you're right. We can't take the sacred out of this. And I said, oh, why? I said, we can't take the sacred out of the medicine. And I said, good. <laughs> you know, good. Because, you know, you can, it's not bad, it's not either or. I think it's, it's not a bad idea to create treatments, right? I mean, penicillin was, 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 was invented. I mean, I, I don't, it, it probably didn't take away from anything. But what I'm saying is medicines is useful. It can help people. It's not like you can't exist because I need to have my little village, you know, struggling out there in the mountains. It's not like that. We can work together, right? It's not an either-or. And we need to bridge those gaps. We need to create a commercialization that will not be eradicating. We need to create a, a, a process of dialogue between, between the... The, the companies that make money out of a tradition. I mean, we've had so many stories. I mean, I, you know, Wade Davis used to talk about it in, in uh, I think, One River or some other books about, you know, the extraction of curar, you know, curare in South America for, you know, poison, anti-poison anti treatment. And, you know, they, they took stuff out of the jungle and just made great remedies out of it and never looked back to see how these people were doing. And... We know, we know that has happened, and it's, it's, it's not right. As a society, as a human family, it's not right. Now, a lot of these people in the big pharma, they don't care. I mean, they don't really have the morality or the... Yeah, they don't have the morality to think that way. But I think it's our responsibility to keep the dialogue open and to keep informing. Because, you know, I could say, well, you know, I don't know, whatever, you do, you whatever. But I didn't want to not have the dialogue, actually. And I think that it's important because they don't know what they don't know. And, and we have to stay open to what they offer the world, really, and not create a, another war, another opposition, another separation. 
Because if we stand for medicine work and if we stand for what we learn from the medicine, which is unity, we have to stay united with these people. Maybe not as emerging and forgetting who we are, but we have to stay in connection. And what, what for me was a big teaching and a big, I was thanking him, you know, really in, my, in myself and in reality, I said, you know, this is really interesting what's going on here. Because I could be totally in opposition to you, but that's not what the medicine tells me. Medicine is really telling me to stay, to stay engaged and to not back down and to not disconnect from you because you are me too, right? So how do I, how do I weave with you rather than not? And I felt that that was more, ultimately, the challenge. So, you know, we can call it desacralization. We can call it uh, commercialization or objectification or, um, you know, uprooting of some substances from their environment. And that's what... That's what industrialized nations have done all over the world for thousands of years. I don't think that's really going to stop. I think the people who have more consciousness and more bridge, create more, are more bridge people between the tradition and the, and the commercialized and the industrial, industrialized world. I think we, who are a little more, uh, you know, here in this world, but also a foot in this other region of the mind and of the, uh, of the medicines, we have to keep this, we have to keep this bridge. So, we can we can continue to stand up for for a, a possible a possible dialogue because this, you know they will come and they will take stuff the farmers and the people who want to make the money are led by other places beside their heart so if we keep standing for um, what we know and what we learn how to be in the medicine I think we can keep hopefully this dialogue open. You've been listening to Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can find more talks with transcripts at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.